Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Smiley. I'm one of the shepherds, the leaders here, and it's my privilege to be with you this morning. We are looking at Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. We only read a little portion of it because as we go through this this morning, we're going to pull out big themes and major ideas, um, and they're all found swirling around in these two chapters. So why don't you open up your Bibles or your journals um, to Ecclesiastes 8 and 9, and while you get there, um, let's talk about the book as a whole, since we're all together, let's look um, at the book as a whole to just recap some of the things that we're learning in Ecclesiastes. It's really interesting to read and study something that repeats itself so much. Amen? Um, Part of why um, this repetition is intentional. It's meant to be there. Ecclesiastes isn't a book that goes and starts from the beginning and has a middle and an end. It's actually spiraling throughout. It's trying to help you understand and internalize exactly what this teacher wants you to learn. It's moving you in the direction of understanding one spiral at a time. Even this week, much of what Jeff covered is, uh, last week is similar to what we have today. Um, There's a lot of similar sentences and similar word patterns and same things kind of happening throughout the section we're in today. It just helps cement it in our minds to read it again. Think about it one more time. Circle back to it. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm actually starting to speak Ecclesiastes in my head, right? Anybody else? Instead of thinking vanity of vanities or meaningless or it's all smoke, I'm just saying the word hevel, right? This morning I was struggling with this headset thing because I don't do this very often and I'm fixing all these things and everything's flying around and it's not working and I just said hevel, what a mess. Maybe soon you guys will all speak Ecclesiastes too. Let me put a plug in here for reading big chunks of scripture all at once. I know how busy routines of life are. I know how it feels overwhelming. I know how in a book like Ecclesiastes, if you sat down and read it, the whole, all of the chapters at one time, you'd get a headache. I know. I've had several Ecclesiastes headaches. But the more you read it, the more you see the big picture, You can match up the details and the words um, together with the big picture of the book. And you can start to feel it and and, um, know it deep down in your heart. If reading the Bible is a struggle for you, if making time to be in God's word feels like, I just can't figure it out, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. Um, I would love to sit down over coffee and figure out what is it that inspires you? How can you be motivated to read and study God's word? Not because you have to, but because it's pouring out of your heart and your soul. Please call me. Let's have coffee. So as I got ready for today, I've been racking my brain to try to come up with some kind of modern day example of our teacher, of Kohelet. Okay, maybe some of you know people who are meditating on the meaninglessness of life, who are often thinking and deep, have wise wisdom for us this under the sun world. And I thought of one from the epic and profound movie, Father of the Bride. 
Anyone? Yes, thank you. I know that kind of dates me because Father of the Bride is like right in my movie wheelhouse, if that's a thing. Okay, but um, the character of the father, played by Steve Martin and Father of the Bride, is increasingly noticing the hevel of life. He is out of control. His daughter's getting married. He has a new person in his family. He has to pay for things he doesn't want to pay for. His tuxedo from the 70s no longer fits. Hevel, okay? So he has a particularly Ecclesiastes moment at the grocery store. His wife finally sends him out of the house because she can't stand his meditations any longer. She wants him to buy hot dogs. Anybody? Yeah. So he's sitting in the grocery store looking at the hot dogs and the hot dog buns. And he's thinking to himself, why is it that a package of hot dogs has eight hot dogs in it and a package of buns has 12 buns? This is Hevel. This is meaningless. He goes off on the teenage clerk, okay, and tries to explain to him why this is meaningless. He goes bonkers. Um, I think if he spoke Ecclesiastes, he would have shouted in the, the aisle, Hevel, amen? Thank you for humoring me in my 90s movie trivia. Okay, let's talk about the Bible, shall we? These chapters in Ecclesiastes are so full of deep thoughts and rich images. The speaker, the teacher, Kohelet, he's struggling with some of the same thoughts and patterns of thinking he's had before in, these, in all of the chapters of the book. There are two things that we're going to cover today. He can't quite make sense of these two things in these chapters. Um, one is that no matter how good you are or how bad you are, if you're righteous or unrighteous, if you're, good, if you're kind or unkind, you still have bad things happen in your life. And eventually your life ends in death, no matter what you do. Um, and then another thing that he's struggling with is that he can't figure all this out. He searched his heart to find all the wisdom in life, and he still can't quite drill it down as he spirals through these ideas to figure out why. So after we cover those two things, we're going to put this in, in the perspective of what Jesus thinks about these kinds of ideas. Um, and we're going to actually be going through the chapters not in a linear way. So you may need to just kind of keep your journal open. I'll let you know where we are at every moment. But... Um, We're going to kind of think through the thoughts that are here rather than just going from the beginning of chapter 8 to the end of chapter 9. So let's go ahead. There's a good summary of these ideas that we just um, read here this morning. So we're going to be in chapter 9, verse 1. Let me read this for you. But in all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Same thing happens to the good and the bad. We like human character distinctions, right? 
Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people, right? What do we call this? Karma, right? It all goes around and comes around. This, um, the teacher actually tries to get us to understand that when we drill it down, that's only true some of the time. And we know it deep in our, in our souls. How many of you have ever said, how could that happen to her? Right? Or, oh, but he was such a good guy. How did that happen to him? The second issue the teacher is contemplating here is this harsh reality that pursuing wisdom doesn't necessarily give you more insight into why good things happen to bad people. Um, It's bananas to Kohelet that good things happen to people he thinks are evil, and it's meaningless that bad things happen to people he considers to be good. How God works this all out is a mystery to him and sometimes to us, right? Here's some of what he says about this in chapter 8, starting in verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is how the the message paraphrase puts it, and I really like it because it helps use our um, regular language. When I determined to load up on wisdom and examine everything taking place on the earth, I realized that even if you keep your eyes open day and night without even blinking, you'll still never figure out the meaning of what God is doing on this earth. Search as hard as you like. You're not going to make sense of it. No matter how smart you are, you won't get to the bottom of it. How do we feel about these encouraging words this morning? (laughs) Right? Darren has told and given us the image of the soccer referee who has the time on his watch. He alone knows the time. And he alone knows the why of the hardships and the struggles and the things we face under the sun. And unfortunately, he's come to the conclusion that no matter how smart we are, we're not quite going to be able to figure it out. Um, The teacher here is kind of spinning out. When was the last time this happened to you? Maybe stuck in your thoughts, examining your life, just trying to make sense of the why of it all. Um, He's trying to grasp that smoky reality that death and chance happen to everyone, no matter their wisdom or wealth or even their righteousness. That's particularly hard for us. So in chapter 9, verse 11, he summarizes this whole idea. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like a fish that are taken in an evil net, And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So as a bit of an antidote 
to these kind of miserable thoughts that our teacher is having. He offers a couple of things in chapters 8 and 9 that help him pragmatically deal with the stress of life. In chapter 8, he tells us at the beginning of the chapter to obey the king. Here's what he says, starting in verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. He talks about an obedient life in very practical terms. Don't rock the boat with the king, whoever's in charge. Don't question his authority. Don't talk back. It will help you avoid certain kinds of trouble if you just follow the rules. As I say to my kids, if you do the right thing, you won't hear from me. This is one of the critics' antidotes to this ridiculous and kind of bananas way of life. What good does it do if you lead a purposefully rebellious life? If you can't change who's in charge of you, then you might as well be mellow. Be chill. Be obedient and quiet with the king. There's also a second thought that Kohelet has that helps him come to terms with the hevel he sees under the sun. Let me read this from chapter 9. And I'll bet when we read this earlier, you got a little stirred up because it stirs me up too. It's the kind of thing you want on a sign in your living room or a pillow on your couch. Help you enjoy life or remember that you're blessed. Go eat your bread with joy. This is in verse 7 of chapter 9. And drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let oil be la- not let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. This vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to where you are going. Oh, to enjoy the simple things of life. To be able to push out the stress and the strain of real life and the anxieties that are before us and just appreciate whatever is right in front of us. Don't we struggle to do that on a regular basis? Um, He wants us to breathe it in and soak it up. And he uses this word, portion. And this is a Hebrew word that means something like allotment or lot, or territory. It's a Hebrew word that means something a little bit akin to what we would say is a property line, a plate of food with a perfect portion on it. It is your spot. God has given you a spot. It is yours. Enjoy it. Soak it up, whatever it might be. It's kind of carpe diem sees the day language that really tends to inspire us. We want to live more fully, have more gratitude, be more at peace with the things that are happening in our life. Anybody? Yeah. This reminds me tangentially, so follow me here, of a situation that my husband and I used to have parenting one of our daughters. Her name is Megan. 
she's lovely. As a toddler, Megan was the kind of kid who got into everything. Okay, you know these parents. You've seen them at the grocery store. Their hair is a little bit on fire. Their eyes are a little bit wild. You stop to talk to them and ask them a question, and they cannot answer you because they're chasing after a baby. Yes? You've seen this? Okay. Megan was walking and running at nine months old. And if you've never had a child, I need you to know that is very early. Too early. Um, I used to say to her, you could sit in your stroller. It would be so nice in there. It's cozy, but nope. She'd rather be standing up in the cart. Yes. Um, So there was, we used to end up chasing her around. I'll just admit it. So we'd go to the park, and there's a beautiful playground, and Megan would look and say, ooh, there's a lake over there. We'd go to the lake, and Megan would see a playground, and she'd say, ooh, there's a playground over there. So we ended up chasing her a lot. At this one particular birthday party, my husband and I had a system. We would use our fingers. We have four kids. So sometimes it'd be like, I have two, you have two. I have three, you have one. We would just make sure we knew who was in charge of who at every given moment because Megan, okay? Um, At this particular party, we showed up and it was at a very beautiful kind of hemmed in courtyard of a condo complex. We both took a breath. There was a bounce house. There were toddler snacks. There were crafts. There was a bubble machine. People, there was a clown. It was one of those parties that when you get in the car afterwards, the kids say, why didn't we have that kind of party? I don't know. So we kind of let our guard down because where else would Megan go, right? I'm sure you could imagine. She didn't stay there. She didn't stay in her spot. She didn't stay at her party. She wanted to explore other lands, other portions, other allotments. At one point, we looked at each other, you know, with that vague kind of like, I'm trying not to panic, but just in case, it's probably maybe 60% sure that she'll be okay. But also, do you know where Megan is? You know, that kind of a look. And we um, found out that neither of us at that moment knew where Megan was and neither did did anyone else at the party. So we started about a five-minute search trying to figure out where Megan was. Um, Megan had found her portion in the upstairs bathroom of the host, playing with the mom's makeup. That was her portion. That was her spot. I tell you, it is sometimes embedded in our souls to be dissatisfied with the portion that we have. We love to go look after every other thing just to make sure that this is the one we're supposed to be living in. We can all relate to that. Kohelet's asking his reader to find some enjoyment, some gratitude in the moment they find themselves in without searching elsewhere. Um, Accepting your portion as God's gift will benefit you in life. That's his approach. Take a moment and think and pray as I'm talking about how this hits you personally. How does this hit you personally? How hard or how easy is it for you to enjoy the life you actually find yourself in in this very second? 
Are you striving to improve your circumstances, constantly organizing and reorganizing, trying to fit things, find a different program or a better schedule? Are you depressed that things aren't really different or that they're not how you pictured them to be? How long has it been since you took a very long, deep breath and appreciated what you have right in front of you? How long has it been since you considered God's goodness in your life, in your actual life, not the one you hoped you had had? This Ecclesiastes view of life is skepticism and mixed with utility and mixed with some faith. We've seen him try to come to terms with the truth that searching after money, working really hard, will only take you so far. Trying to fill your life with pleasurable experiences will only make you so happy. Um, When you're trying to chase after meaning and purpose and figure it all out exactly, why is my life this way? It will only make you so wise. And it sounds like in chapter 9, Kohelet has finally resigned himself to his lack of control. You better live now because you're going to Sheol which is the place of the dead, where you're not going to be thinking about this or trying hard or doing anything anymore. He even says a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, in our teaching team meeting, it was proposed that this is the Bible's way of telling us that dogs are indeed better than cats. (laughs) Just so you know how serious that is. But he's actually just saying, you're only living now. This is your moment. Appreciate God in it. Um, It seems that this feeling of dissatisfaction of our actual lives has actually been there from the beginning. In the beginning, God offered this incredible portion, allotment, place, territory for Adam and Eve to live in in the garden, right? Here's what Genesis has to say about what unfolded in the lives of Adam and Eve. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He gave them this portion to enjoy, but also a boundary. A boundary, and you know the rest of the story. They ate from the fruit of the tree. In Genesis chapter 3, it says So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, excuse me, I'm just going to take a sip. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. There were and have been consequences of this choice that Adam and Eve made since that very moment. The choice to step outside the boundary and look for a more different portion started this spiral of sin and death leading to more sin and death, to violence, to pain, sorrow, illness, a feeling of emptiness, right? We know this to be true. 
And even though some of us fight against it, I mean, I get it. It can feel unfair to think that I didn't make that choice. Why am I facing the consequences of it? But I think if we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, we know how easy it is to fall into sin. White lies, gossip, slander, promoting ourselves. It all comes so easily to us. Sin leads to death. And that aches in our hearts and in our world all around us. Sin and death did this to us. Um, Yes, I agree that it's challenging to think that sin and death are a part of our everyday life. But we have to acknowledge that God's plan was always redemption from the very beginning. One man sinned, and that opened up sin to all of us. However, one man's righteous life offers redemption to us all. This is what Romans 5 says about um, how Jesus redeemed us from the sin and death that Adam and Eve brought into the world. Romans 5 verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will become righteous. This plan of Jesus Christ first opened the doors to acceptance and love, complete righteousness, and abundant life. I loved the story that Amy told us earlier about how God had met her in her pain and her sorrow. Jesus Christ has met all of us in our pain and our sorrow and allowed the way for redemption. Um, we can kind of look at things like Kohelet does and resign ourselves to how it is. This is just the way things are. Or we can surrender our hearts to a life of following Jesus wherever he leads. So where does this leave us? A surrendered life in Jesus certainly doesn't remove all the trials from our life. We know this to be true. Your lived experience has proven it. We still have trouble. Even Jesus himself said that to his followers. In this world, you will have trouble. Yet in Christ, we can set aside our plans and offer him our very lives. While Kohelet thinks about things um, in this world as, hey, this is all we have, Jesus actually says in Matthew 18, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What does it mean to gain your life when you deny yourself? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? A little upside down. To gain your life means a rich, full, free life in service to Jesus Christ. It means that when life is bananas and is out of control and you can't quite grasp the meaning of it all, you have the very presence of Christ as your portion, as your allotment, as your place, as your plate. 
When you're faced with an undesirable situation or a portion you don't want, you have the ability to say deep in your heart, like the psalmist says in Psalm 73, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven besides you? And, is there, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen? Jesus himself is your portion. When you are tempted, when I am tempted to fill the void and the ache in this life with all the under-the-sun things we have, wisdom, money, pleasure, when we're tempted to fill that void, instead, we can think about the work of Jesus Christ. Picture his sacrifice of love. Breathe in and out the redeeming love that he offers. Living fully in our portion does bring freedom. Freedom from resentment, bitterness, fear, and freedom to fully live, open our eyes to the work of God in the very moment we find ourselves in, um, and allow ourselves to be transformed by the Spirit of God. Contentment in Christ doesn't happen, and this is hard for us. We kind of want to live the Ecclesiastes way. Try harder. Be more positive. Just think good thoughts. But contentment doesn't happen that way. Contentment happens when we learn to look at what's right in front of us and ask God to help us to find something to enjoy in it. No running off to find the mommy's makeup. Stay right here. Stay in it. Look for Jesus in this moment. Um, Contentment can flourish when we keep breathing during all of the inconveniences and the trials and the burdens and the strife, knowing that God is actually with you. He is himself your portion every step of the way. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus himself is your portion. The end of the text we read today in chapter 9 says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This is all we have, he says. His under-the-sun understanding says, Enjoy your life, because death is coming. But the Jesus understanding realizes that death is not the end. Jesus ended the power of sin and death. We don't have to look in this world for gain for ourselves, but rather give our lives up in sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that we can gain all of his goodness and all of his love and all of his acceptance. Paul expresses it this way. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for even allowing us to have this worship service and smell that barbecue smell and know the good things that are coming. Thank you that our lives have meaning and richness and goodness, even in the midst of pressure and frustration and toil.
You are in it. You are everything we need. Would you help us to step forward in faith, to picture you and your pleasure in us as our portion, as enough? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.